Today we're going to be talking about a little bit about Christmas. Today we're going to be talking about one specific person from Christmas. One specific person from the Christmas story. Maybe a guy that you don't pay a lot of attention to. And I don't know, maybe it was a gal. But, uh, but this one specific person that we don't pay a ton of attention to. And, and this person is the innkeeper. The innkeeper always gets a bad rap. Right? Like, who could put this pregnant woman out in the stable? Now, first of all, I want to correct something. Bonnie, you hit on a very big truth when you said maybe we thought that he was born in a different place than what he was born in. This is not what it looked like, friends. This is a Western concept. It's very possible it was a cave. It's very, or very possible that it was like the, the, the bottom floor of a home. The stable was. But it didn't look like barns like we think of in Western culture. But the innkeeper, he always gets a, a bad rap. You know, he's heartless. I mean, here comes this woman and she is big with baby. You know, I mean, you've seen those women. Amen. You know, those women that look like they got quadruplets in there and it's really just one. You know, and I can just imagine here's here's Mary, you know, and she's made this trek across the country. And let's just think about it. Ladies, you'll, you'll understand this. Some of us have comfortable cars. But it's still uncomfortable traveling when we're pregnant. Now imagine you do it on a donkey's back. And some of you are like, I did do it with a donkey, my husband. But that's <laughs> just that's a completely different story. But, but you know, I want you to understand that this innkeeper wasn't heartless. This innkeeper isn't the guy that you think he is. This innkeeper was doing exactly what God wanted him to do. Doing exactly what God wanted him to do. In the fullness of time, Jesus Christ came. This was a Christmas plan, not a Christmas accident. And a lot of times we feel like some of what happened in the Christmas story is just a goof up. Like God didn't know all of this. I mean, maybe you feel like that not just with the Christmas story, maybe you feel like that with your own life. Like God got caught by surprise that you got laid off. Or fired. Or that God was, was shocked when you got sick and, and had to spend your savings on that. But I think the fact that this was a Christmas plan and not a Christmas accident starts to give us a little faith in some other areas. That God is on the throne. God is in control. He knows exactly what He's doing. He's not surprised by any of this. He's not shocked by any of this. Can I get a witness? Amen? But sometimes don't we feel like he's surprised? Don't we feel like, like, God, do you know what's going on? I mean, I know I've prayed those prayers. God, do you know what's going on? Can't you see? I mean, didn't, didn't David say stuff like that in the Psalms? 
Didn't Jesus, who is God, made manifest in the flesh, didn't he, while he was on the cross, recite some scripture? Eloi, Eloi, Sabachthani. And you know what? That may not be how to pronounce it. Let me tell you, sidebar, do you know how to pronounce stuff that's in the Bible that's hard to pronounce? Just pronounce it with confidence. Nobody else knows how to pronounce it either. Okay? Just say it like you mean it, and nobody will question you. Try it. Those hard names, just chunk them out there. With confidence. You can't be stumbling over it. You know? But you, anyways, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And there's a lot of debate on what Jesus is talking about there. But I mean, these are the kind of things that go through our head. But these were carefully planned details. Today we're going to be exploring how Christmas was a divine plan, not just an accident. And in order to do that, I'm going to take you to a kind of strange place in Scripture. Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 through 5. I promise next week we'll be right back in the book of Hebrews. This is one of those breaks from the book of Hebrews that I said we would have sometimes. So go ahead and open your Bibles up to Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 through 5. Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 through 5. You say, Pastor, why are you repeating it? Because the men in the room are slow. It's not for the ladies. It's for the men. Men, you know I'm right. I've been in men's training ground. We have to repeat stuff a lot up there. And I'm, I need it repeated for me too. <clears throat> I'm going to be reading from the English Standard Version. You may be reading from the King James, the New King James, the NASB, uh, you know, whatever. That's fine. They're all translations. Here's what it says in verse 4. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, Born of a woman, born under the law. To redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Before I get into this fullness of time and before we pray, I need you to understand something. This adoption as sons thing is very important in Jewish culture. The Jewish law, the oral law, taught that if you adopted a child, you could not ever disown that child. A natural-born child could be disowned, but an adopted one could not. So when the author of Galatians writes adoption as sons, we're talking about God's commitment to us. You need to realize God's committed to you today. And hopefully that will strengthen your commitment to Him. Let's pray. Father, as we look at these scriptures today and as we explore more than Galatians 4, but as we explore the Christmas story, as we explore it this week with our families at home, Lord, as we explore it this week with ourselves in our private devotional time and all those things, Lord, we pray that you would speak into it in a new and a fresh way. Father, that it wouldn't be just the same old story about a baby in a manger, but Lord, that we would come to understand it in new and relevant ways. Father, I pray that you would speak in this service this morning. Let me hide behind the shadow of your wings. Father, may it not be Jerry Breedlove who is seen here today. 
but may it be the risen Christ. Because, Lord, I can't save any of these people, nor can I grow them in their, in their walk with you. That's your job. You tell us in the Word that you'll grow your church. And so we ask you by your Spirit, grow your church today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. God's people said, Amen. So I want to read the Galatians thing to you again. It's very important. I'm just going to read verse 4. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law. Now I need you to understand something about the fullness of time here. The fullness of time means the right time. A fulfillment That is what the fullness of time means. It means the right time or a fulfillment. It doesn't mean when Mary had hit the end of her third trimester. It has far larger implications than this. God sent Jesus Christ to the world at the exact right time down to the smallest portion of a second. His timing was completely and totally perfect. The Greek word here translated fullness is the Greek word pleroma. And it carries different contextual meanings throughout the Bible and other Greek literature. This word pleroma. It can mean how a ship is filled. It can mean how the body of Christ is filled with believers. But in this particular context, and you have to understand, contextual meaning is important. Contextual meaning is important. No. Which really means yes. Right? When I say it like that, contextual means important. No. But then when Ron said it like that, he meant no, and it meant no. Right? Contextual meaning is important. In this context, it means the perfect, non-accidental time as a fulfillment of God's meticulous plan as He sent His Son. You need to understand the perfect, non-accidental time, and this is important when we think about the innkeeper. Because if we don't realize that this is the perfect non-accidental time, that either the innkeeper was off or God was off. But when we come to the, to the scriptural understanding that God's timing is always perfect, then we can dig deeper in this. You go, why are you hitting this so hard, preacher? I'm hitting this so hard because you need to accept that God's timing is perfect in this. God's timing is perfect, without flaw. He didn't miss it even by a millisecond. This builds in us a trust and a confidence as we face the many obstacles that come at us in life. Let me just use a contextual story from Oil City. About a decade ago, maybe a little longer, 
our refineries closed down and moved to Texas. And we may be going, God, what are you doing? Don't you know we need this to survive? And yet here we all are. Sometimes we won't like God's perfect timing. Sometimes we'd say, well, God, if I was you, I would do it this way. But praise God, none of us are Him. Because He sees every moving piece that's currently moving in the world, that's moved in the past, and that moves in the future. And His timing is perfect. We may not understand it, and we may struggle with it. But when we accept it as truth, then we can try to figure out why is He doing what He's doing. God doesn't do things by accident, and this is true even of the Christmas story. There's nothing accidental about the Christmas story. God the Father planned it down to the most intricate details. Just because you guys are so quiet today, let's read that together. You ready? I'll get out of the way so people can see. There is nothing accidental about the Christmas story. God the Father planned it down to the most intricate details. God is a planner. God is a planner, friends. Now me, I'm not much of a planner. My wife is about to just jump up and shout and do backflips down the aisle because she's like, that's right, he's a planner. My wife is a planner, which I'm sure later on today she's going to say, which means she's closer to God than I am. Because <laughs> he's a planner, so she's a planner. Wouldn't you like to be a planner? To be a planner. Oh, sorry. Now I'm showing my age. <laughs> but, but there's nothing accidental about this, and we have to grip that. We have to grip that. So, you know, God, so what is God's great plan in all of this? What is God's great plan in all of this? Well, guys, we can easily see the hand of God in events like the virgin being with child, him being born in Bethlehem, and other prophesied facts. Right? They were prophesied. I mean, it says, and the, the virgin will be with child. So we go, okay, God was, God was in that. The virgin was with child. Right? He had to be born in Bethlehem because, well, there's a prophecy that says, oh, out of you, O Bethlehem, even though you're the least, you know, it talks about raising up the greatest king that ever was. And there's plenty of other prophesied facts about the coming of Jesus Christ. And so we say, yeah, God's in those. We glorify God readily enough for those foretold events. But the foretold events are only part of the story. And everything about the Christmas story is pretty doggone amazing, including the choice the innkeeper made. And it doesn't matter that it was kept secret until it happened. It's still pretty amazing. And when we accept it as a fact that it was God's plan, we can dig in and see why it's so amazing. According to John the Baptist, Jesus, that's the he here, 
was the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Do you remember that? John's out, he's baptizing in the Jordan River, and, and people are coming and they're, they're being ceremonially washed in the water and, and, and being this baptism of repentance, and people are coming out, and, he's, and he says, Hey, there's one coming after me. I'm not even worthy to, to stoop down and mess with the guy's sandal straps. And he's going to do all this. And then Jesus, here comes Jesus walking along, and you guys know that John and, and Jesus are actually cousins. I don't know if you knew that or not. They're actually cousins. So here comes Jesus walking along. And what's John's reaction when he sees him? Behold! The Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He didn't say, Behold the King of the Jews! Behold the Messiah! I mean, he could have said all of those things of him. He didn't say, Behold Emmanuel! God with us! He could have said that. No, he says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Church, we need to stop feeling sorry for Jesus being born in a manger. We need to stop feeling pity for our God who became flesh because he was born in a manger. He knew what he was doggone doing. Jesus is not angry at the innkeeper. Now, I'm no farmer, though my original major in college was agricultural animal science. So I think I have a little know-how. But you could say, oh, well, you're no farmer, okay. But, but, I'm pretty sure that sheep are born outside or in a barn. I don't think we see the ewe lamb being brought into the, into the bedroom upstairs. And are given birth. Right? I mean, isn't that where she... Are, are there any farmers in the room? Anybody? Ever farmed? Oh. We just got... Okay. Do, do we bring livestock in the house? My grandmother would have had a fit. Right. Because it's messy. <laughs> Lambs are born outside. Or in a barn. In a stable. You say, I don't know, preacher, you're making a pretty pretty large stretch there to Jesus being a lamb. Now wait a minute, John the Baptist made the stretch, not me. Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. I'm just repeating him. Was the place of Jesus' birth lowly? Was the place of Jesus' birth lowly? Was it humble? Was it some freak accident? That's right. The place they were supposed to stay was not overcrowded. The place where they would have chosen to stay in their planning was overcrowded. The place where God wanted them to stay had room. Now, I know you say, oh, it's, he said because there was no room in the inn. It, yes, that's right. The story does say that because there was no room in the inn. But it doesn't say, well, God had reservations for them, but then they lost them. <laughs> Let me prove this to you. Jesus, on Easter week, he's coming into Jerusalem. Right? 
Passover week, right? The one that he dies on. And he says to his disciples, hey, go on ahead of me. There's a room up ahead prepared for us. Go tell him, hey, the master needs the room. God had reservations for that room. And it was ready, right? Wait, 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 it gets freakier. He reserved a, a, a foal of a donkey that had never been ridden on. It was standing out tied up and he said, go ahead and get this foal. It's never been ridden. Tell him the master has need of it. Like Jesus is better than Priceline. Right? When he gets a guaranteed reservation, it's guaranteed. He doesn't show up at the airport and be like, no, we don't have your donkey. You're going to have to take this subcompact donkey instead. No. He, he has, he's God. Okay? His reservations for where he was supposed to be, where he was supposed to stay, were in, intact and in order. So let me just ask you the next question. And you've got to answer it. And you've got to answer it loud and fast. Don't think about it. So if Jesus stayed exactly where he was supposed to stay, was the innkeeper some sinful man who's a jerk because he put him out in the cold? That's right. He wasn't. He was doing exactly what he was supposed to do. I believe the innkeeper played his part perfectly in the birth of Jesus Christ. I believe that the innkeeper played his part flawlessly. Some of you do theater, some of you do music and all those things. You long for a flawless performance, right? The innkeeper, flawless performance. Did exactly what he was supposed to do. And sent him to the stable. But what about the shepherds? And you're going to see when we talk about the shepherds and we get into this more, you're going to see, wow, the innkeeper did do this exactly the way he was supposed to. What about the shepherds? The, angel, the angels announced the birth to, to the shepherds. And in Luke 8.21, we hear about... Luke chapter 2, verses 8-21, through 21, we hear about these shepherds and the announcement of the angels unto them. Now, here's the question about these guys. And you're going to read that this week in your homework. But here's the question. Were these shepherds like the only people who weren't too busy to hear? No. They weren't the only people who, who weren't too busy. And you've got to understand, in Jewish law, under the oral tradition, the testimony of a shepherd wasn't acceptable. So, I mean, he went to the lowest of the low. But why? Did he go to them because they were low? Don't say yes. It's a trick question. Did he go to them because they were low? No, he didn't go to them because they were low. They were the perfect people to hear. The angels went to these shepherds because they were, and it's in bold, say it with me, special shepherds. Not your run-of-the-mill everyday shepherds. And I'm getting ready to prove this to you. These were not your normal old shepherds who were, who were out tending sheep or tending goats and all of these things. These were special shepherds. You're like, Pastor, the Scripture doesn't say they were special. Guys, we need to study historical context of the Scriptures. What were the Jews hearing? What was the original audience hearing? And the original audience of this passage of Scripture about the, the angels going to these shepherds would have known this instantly. 
Because it was such a huge deal. Because it was such a huge deal. And we're going to get into those things. We're going to get into these, these geography lessons and a little bit of Jewish laws and traditions. Are you ready? Okay. God's great plan. We're, keep, we're keeping on going. In Genesis chapter 35, verse 21, there is a tower mentioned. Genesis 35, 21. You can write that down and go check it later. This tower is called Migdal Eder. Migdal Eder. The watchtower or the tower, Migdal means the watchtower or the tower of the flock. So the tower of Eder, the tower of the flock, or the watchtower of the flock, depending on your translation, we're going to call it Migdal Eder for simplicity's sake. According to the best Jewish historians, the shepherds that would have been approached by the angels that night were keeping watch over flocks in fields surrounding Migdal Eder. Here's why. Here's Jerusalem. The podium. This baby grand is Bethlehem. This flag is Migdaletter. Bethlehem was between Jerusalem and Migdaletter. So we see that. Because if they're around Bethlehem, they're around those, they're in those fields surrounding Migdaletter. Even if they're on this side of Bethlehem, okay. The the shepherds that tended these fields were special shepherds because they were in the employ of the temple. They were not farmers. They were not watching their own flocks. They were in the employ of the temple. In the Jewish law. It stated that if any sheep, how many sheep? Does that include all sheep? If any sheep was found between Migdaletter and Jerusalem proper, nobody could lay claim to it because it was automatically assumed that it had wandered away from a flock that was being watched there and those flocks were being sent to the temple as a sacrifice for sin. Like, that should have blown you away. And it didn't. Let me explain it again. If a sheep is found between the flag and the podium, okay, that sheep is automatically considered a sin offering. Where's Bethlehem? It's between the flag and the podium. So if you find a sheep in Bethlehem, what is it? It's a sin offering. I didn't come up. These special shepherds were men who were responsible to keep watch over the male lambs used as a sin offering. That was their whole job, was to keep watch over the Paschal lambs. Guys, this, will, this, is, this should be blowing your mind. These weren't the only guys in town that didn't have anything to do. The angels were announcing to the shepherds the birth of the, somebody say the bold word with me, ultimate 
Paschal Lamb, the Lamb of God, the sacrifice to end all sacrifices. These weren't your, this wasn't your regular run-of-the-mill Paschal Lamb who could only temporarily deal with the sins of the world. God was saying, okay, look, you've been trained that without the shedding of blood there could be no remission of sins. You are coming to the place where you realize at this point that you cannot be righteous on your own no matter what. And so I'm ready in the fullness of time in the platoroma at the perfect time. Here's the, here's the land that takes away the sins of the world. Born where a lamb should be born. Now, guys, if a lamb should be born outside or in a barn, who would be the first people to find out about it besides the lamb's uh, mother, the ewe? Who would be the first one to know? Oh, come on. Who would, who would be the first one to know? Shepherds. shepherds. Shepherds would be the first one to know. The, the shepherds are like the special group of people we prayed for today. They never got any days off. All right? Unless they brought the sheep in late at night and put them in a pen. But they were constantly out there. This was a hard life. These men weren't the only guys in town with nothing better to do than to, than to hear about the Savior. These men were the men whose job it was to stand watch over these over the lambs that were to be used as a sin offering, so it only makes sense that they would be the first to know. They got told about it, so what they do? They went to see for themselves. Whoa, 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 you're telling us that our jobs are in jeopardy? I mean, hello, that's the layoff notice. Right? And God said, praise them. Glory to God in the highest, right? The angels were praising. They were rejoicing. And they said, rejoice with us. Pray with us. Come and see the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Guys, your job's in jeopardy. You're not going to be able to pass this job down to your kids. And that's a big deal in Jewish tradition. And in that time period, if I was a shepherd, then Dylan would end up being a shepherd. He could hardly have any chance of breaking away from that. And he's being told, your job's gone, dude. So they went to see for themselves. Where is this Paschal Lamb? And the Scriptures... Say of these guys, when they found things as it was foretold, they got mad and said, God, how are you going to lay us off? No. They said, God, what do you mean I'm going to lose my job? Darn you, you don't know what you're doing. No. It doesn't say that. You're going to read this this week in your homework if you read it. When they went and they found the things the way they were supposed to be, they glorified God. They knew that God wasn't screwing up. They knew that God's timing was perfect. They knew that that this was the way that it was supposed to be. And according to Luke chapter 2.17, they started telling everybody. 
And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. They didn't go to the innkeeper and say, Oh, innkeeper Dave, how could you? You heartless dirtbag. Didn't you see how pregnant she was? It's not what they said. They didn't rush home and go, Dylan, dude, you're hosed. We've got to change the family profession, man. You're not going to have a job. No, they went and started telling people about it. Because Jesus was born exactly where he was supposed to be born. In the fullness of time. He had reservations for that stable. And God made sure it was empty for him. He didn't have reservations inside the inn. He had reservations for the stable. And he was born exactly where he was supposed to be, exactly when he was supposed to be, and the people who needed to know about it first were the first ones to find out about it. Can I get a witness? I mean, that should invoke a hallelujah in you. I know, I'm a talkback preacher and you're not really a talkback church yet, but come on, can't you get excited about Jesus is not an idiot? Amen? I mean, God's not an idiot, amen? He knows what He's doing. Get excited! Get excited! Get excited about it! I don't call on people while I'm preaching. Get excited about it! We have to get excited about this. When you go back to your home this week and you celebrate Christmas, and by the way, Jesus wasn't born in December, most likely. Most likely he was born in September, which means I'm closer to God, Sarah, because I was born in September. (laughs) And I'm not going to get into why we celebrate on the 25th of December. That's not my point today. But we need to understand that God's not, God's not a moron. He's not being caught by surprise at Christmas time, and He's not being caught by surprise with what's going on in your life. He's not being caught by surprise with this stuff. And if He is being caught by surprise, then we need to quit worshiping Him. Hear that. Listen to that. I know that people are like, what? No, seriously. If God can be caught off guard, He is not worthy of my worship, nor is He worthy of yours. Because He's not perfect. He's not all-knowing. And I'm only going to worship somebody who's perfect, who's all-knowing, who never gets caught off surprise. Because when I worship Him and I say, I'm going to serve you with everything I got, I need to know that he knows what he's doing. He's not worthy of serving if he's not perfect. This isn't a goof up. Jesus doesn't need a Christmas do-over. Okay? Sometimes I need a do-over. I tell people all the time when I'm in private meetings, hey, I'm going to say this, if it comes out bad, I get a do-over. If you've been in a private meeting with me and I've said that, raise your hand. Christy, you need to raise your hand. I say that a lot. If this comes out bad, I get a do-over. God doesn't need do-overs. 
If it comes out bad when God says it to you, if you don't understand it, say, well, God, I don't understand this. Please explain. Why is this so important? Why is this so important? I said it at the beginning. I'm going to say it now. Because God is not surprised by your circumstances either. God is not surprised by your circumstances either. I have a friend of mine who for all of her life has struggled off and on with boils. And people, well-meaning Christians, tell her something's wrong with your faith. There's some sin that's going on in your life. Guys, while there can, that can be true, I've worked very diligently over the last three years coaching this young lady, telling her that's a lie. Paul was sick until the day he died. Thorn in the flesh that God would not take away. He said, my grace is sufficient for you. Now you need to understand something. I believe in healing. I believe that God still miraculously heals today. But you may be suffering. And we talked about this in, in, in Hebrews. Why? Ask God why. Why am I going through this? Are you trying to teach me something? Am I suffering for somebody else's sake? What's going on here? Am I suffering so that I can glorify you later? Am I suffering with this cancer so that I can go alongside of somebody who has cancer later and say, I've been there. I've had that. And God was with me through it all. Maybe you're finding maybe you're finding right now that that the that the financial provision isn't really flowing in your family the way that you'd like it to flow. Maybe it's God's timing. Maybe God's doing something in your life. There is no promise of prosperity in the scriptures. There's a promise that you will have what you need, not what you want. If you're obedient, Bring in a full tithe. I'll pour out a blessing you can't hold. He doesn't say, I'll make you rich. I know some of you want to quote Jeremiah 29, 11 out of the NIV. I'm sorry. It's a bad translation in that verse. Because the word prosper doesn't mean in the 70s when it was translated what the, what the Hebrew word means there. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper and not harm you, to give you a future and a hope. The the ESV translates it much better. The NASB translates it, I believe, much better. It says, I know the plans I have for you, plans for wholeness and not evil. Prosper carries the connotation of money. It didn't used to carry that connotation. People used to think, well, I'm prosperous in my health, or I'm prosperous in this. But nowadays in today's world... It doesn't carry that connotation. Prosper means I got a lot of this. But he says wholeness and not evil. By the way, we often quote Jeremiah 29.11 completely out of context. doesn't mean God's going to bless our plan. Read the whole chapter. When you repent of what you're doing, I'll restore you. That's what Jeremiah 29 is about. We just like to pull verse 11 and say, God's going to bless our plan. Only when we repent and get in into where He wants us to be. He's talking to the Jews and saying, you're not going to be in exile forever. I'm going to restore you. So repent and I'll restore you. I know, I just messed your theology up. 
God's in control of all this. He's not, and I know some of you are surprised I'm talking about him this way, but he's not a moron. God's not a moron. He's perfect. As you move into this next week and into this next new year, face whatever is coming at you knowing that God is perfect and His timing is not off. And He's walking through this with you. And He has got a plan in this. And if you don't understand the plan, first accept that it is the plan. And then say, now help me work it out, God. What's it mean? God, I'm not here by accident. I believe that you're involved in this. Now help me understand. It's okay to ask God those questions. Jesus screamed it out from the cross. My God. My God. Why have you forsaken me? And he knew perfectly well. We've talked as Oil City Community Alliance Church about this. Other churches all over our community are talking about this. There is stuff that is starting to happen. Spiritual warfare. I know that weirds some of you out. But read the New Testament. It talks about it. We struggle not against flesh and blood, but against powers, principalities, spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God that you may be able to withstand. I know I'm paraphrasing like a whole chapter of... Ephesians, but go read Ephesians chapter 6, written to believers. Somebody say, who's Ephesians written to? Believers. Believers. About spiritual warfare. I believe that Kevin Weaver is right when he said we should expect more. I don't like the fact that Kevin's right. But I believe he is correct that we should expect more. Some of you will say, Pastor, we're in the last days. If we're in the last days, then get your armor on and let's go out and do battle. And remember, the battle is not against other churches. It's not against other people. It's against the enemy of your soul, Satan, who wants to drag as many people to hell with him as he can. P.S. Satan's not in charge of hell. He's going to be sent there to be punished. Okay, Satan's not in charge of hell. He's going to be sent there to be punished. But misery loves company. Can I get a witness? Okay, He wants to drag as many people with him as he can. But we got to gird up. We got to gird up. We got to get ready for this. There are people that are dying and going to hell and God has put you in this situation for a reason. This next new year, And I believe that I am speaking prophetically right now. Predictive. For our congregation. This next new year, we are going to face some challenges that will rock us. Unless we are ready. Get ready. And trust that God has His hand on us. He wants to save the men and women and children of this county. He's ready for the oil region to no longer be known for black oil that comes out of the ground, 
but instead for a pure oil that's the anointing of God. I believe we're going to be known as the oil region. We faced some big challenges already since I've been here. And Stacy, speaking of the speaking by the Spirit of God at the last Board of Ministries meeting, as I'm struggling with some of the challenges, said, Jerry, God told you at National Council, at General Council, that you were getting ready to enter the most productive time of ministry in your life. The most fruitful time of ministry in your life. Remember he told you that. I believe that was Jesus speaking to me through Stacy. And I believe Jesus is speaking to you right now. The enemy is going to attack because we're coming on his territory. We've got to get ready. We've got to get ready. Some of us are going to have moments where we long to be taken home to heaven. But like the Apostle Paul, we need to say, yep, I long to depart, but, for, but it's more profitable for me to stay here for your sake. We need to get ready. So let's get ready. Let's get ready and let's remember Jesus' timing is perfect. He knows about all of this. Can I get a witness? This week, home works a little different. Monday, Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 23. Tuesday, Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 40. Wednesday, Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 20. Thursday, Luke chapter 2, verses 21 through 40. Friday, Matthew 2, verses 1 through 12. And Saturday, Matthew 2, verses 13 through 23. These homework scriptures for this week are for you to go investigate the other details of the Christmas story. For you to go hopefully sit in awe and wonder. And not wonder like thinking like, what the heck, but like, Whoa, wonder. Wow, God did some really cool stuff in bringing His Son into the world. Wow, this is amazing. Pay attention to the little details when you read this. Now for those of you, I'll move. Now for those of you who are new, for those of you who are new to OCCA, you may be saying, what the heck is homework? You don't have to go read this. This is just a place for people to get into the scriptures. I think a lot of times people don't know where to start reading in their Bible. So we give them some ideas. Usually homework goes along with my message to make sure that you see that I'm not preaching a message that you know isn't biblical. It's other passages of scripture that talk about the very same thing. But this week it's kind of more of a worship time to just be wowed by God. Let's pray. Father, we love you. And we recognize that you are perfectly in charge and that you are totally perfect. And we want to serve you. And we want to trust you. 
We want to trust you that you know the timing of what's going on in our lives right now perfectly. But we confess that we sometimes struggle believing that. So Lord, this week, as we read these passages of Scripture that talk about the coming, the first coming of your Son, that they will build in us faith and confidence in your timing. That they will build in us a trust that even when we don't understand what is going on, we will trust you nonetheless. And we ask it all in Jesus' name. And God's people said, Amen.